0: Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for this day that we can come into your house, study your word together to rejoice in your great mercies of your word, of the Lord's table, and of fellowship with you and with each other. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as your pastor, one of the things that I uh, am always is rolling around in the back of my mind is what does it mean to be the church um our our covenantal connectedness to one another and you know when we use words like covenantal or covenant those are fuzzy words to us in the modern age and so um i uh you know, I, I want to be as plain as possible, but I want us to understand, Look, take a second and look around the room at who's in the room. These are your people, right?
1: People.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, human nature as it is loves to be isolated. Anybody tell me why that is? Why do we like to isolate ourselves? It's probably like Adam and Eve hiding from God. Okay. Adam and Eve hiding from God. I think that's leaning the direction I'm going. What What else do you think? Why do we like to isolate ourselves? Because we don't have to deal with other people's sin, and then our and that results in interaction with other people. Man, he is on it to a T, right? What... what, what God's natural way of dealing with sanctification, that is to say, our own sin, the sin in our lives, is by interaction with other people. Now, it's not exclusively um, the, the body of Christ, but in the body of Christ, we have the advantage of people of the same mind, or agreeing upon making our minds allowing our minds to be transformed by god's word Um, one of the difficulties or challenges that we were all presented with during covid was forced isolation and obviously um, some churches responded more uh, vigorously against that Um, some families did you know i'll tell you when we were in louisiana at the start of of covid and you know we kind of pared down the church a little bit and i was just i was an elder there but we as we were paring down and doing things when it finally came to the point where um they really didn't want anybody meeting in any mass groups what we did was is we took our church which set seats 1200 down there and we put we invited anybody who didn't have family right and we had them come to the church and sit across the sanctuary And there was pastor steve and another elder there to take care of things in in the church and then um, what happened was that basically as it was being broadcast out um people who lived near each other you know just went to each other's houses and piled in now in my case it was just having my family members over and we had 25 people in the in, in the house um and actually, because it was springtime, I had us open the doors and windows so that as we sang, it would be going out into the, the neighborhood. But I, I only bring that up is that, that isolation is the devil's tool um, in order to um, keep us from walking faithfully, from uh, dealing with the sin in our life. Proverbs 18.1 says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire." So when we isolate ourselves, we're saying, I don't want someone else to challenge my selfishness. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18.1 goes on and says, This person, he, rages against all wise judgment. Okay, And I'll point out that this word rage here, it's the very same Hebrew word that we find in Psalm chapter 2 where it talks about the kings raging against God. Right? The nations raging against God. But it's interesting. If you look at verse 2 of Proverbs 18, it says, A fool has no delight in understanding. We limit ourselves to growth and understanding of God, of people, of his plan by ourselves. There's a real problem across the broader church that Christianity is about me Jesus all I need is me my Bible and my own devotional time I don't need the church well that's problematic in our thinking and and to tell you the truth have you ever read something in the scriptures and you thought you understood it and 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 you had it right and then when you had a chance to see what Biblical scholars and pastors and people of God have studied and have a broader view, explain the scripture to you, and then suddenly you recognized that you were holding an incorrect view. That ever happened to you? Right? Now, some of that's normal, okay? Because we're going to learn, we start where we are, wherever we are, and God brings us along. But the point is, we are all benefited by each other by church fathers by the creeds of the church by church history right um so if if we isolate ourselves we don't delight in understanding right there's also a part of this that says you know a person who isolates himself typically is full of pride right because they isolate themselves they don't want to be challenged um you know it's interesting if you uh you guys know if you hang out with me, I'll end up talking about Narnia at some point. And, uh, and The Magician's Nephew, Uncle Andrew. How many guys have read The Magician's Nephew? Good deal, love you. Okay. So um, we, we have, um, we see Uncle Andrew, he's very isolated, right? He's cut off. Um, he barely gets out. He doesn't talk to people. He cares about his image when he does go out. And guess what? He is both a scientist and a magician, and so the rules that everybody else should have to follow, the morality of the world, the truth of the world, he's above that. He's above that. Um, and so at the end, the, that fool who doesn't delight in understanding um, only likes to express their own heart. So this, I think, brings up the question, who are we? And some of this, I'm, I'm going to read a little, I don't know, it's in poetry form, I guess, here, but it's uh, out of an article by Rich Lusk that's called A Primer for Church Members on the Nature and Functions of the Body of Christ. I hate the title. It's terrible. Like, In other words, it's technical, but it's not warm. However, the, I think the article on the whole is an excellent is an excellent tool but it says this who are we we are the church a local expression of the catholic body of christ and of course that word catholic is a little c the universal body of christ it's not rome but it says what is the church we are the church the people who believe the gospel of jesus christ who are baptized and who share in the lord's supper Through these means of grace, the Spirit renews us and forms us into his people so that we may glorify God and serve the world in love, right? So I I bring that up because I want us, we're going to be spending some weeks here discussing what it means to be the church practically. But I think it's important that we recognize a couple of things. kind of as a setup to this. At creation, the world was centered around the Garden of Eden. It was the place of worship and the place of relationship with God. I think we all kind of understand that imagery, know that that's true. But following the fall, how do we address this? Well, first it was the tabernacle and then the temple. The world was again centered at the place of worship, and the place of relational restoration to God. After Christ's death, though, what happens? We know that the temple's destroyed. That place that was the center of the world, the center of worship, the center of relationship to God being restored, right, was gone. Well, after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension... The church is established as the place of worship and restoration of relationship to God and to each other. Excuse me. Now, the Westminster Confession, uh, when it talks about uh, the church and talks about salvation, says, ordinarily there is no salvation outside of the church that's pretty that's pretty direct isn't it ordinarily there's no salvation outside the church and of course that that flies in the face of American individualism right now let me ask you a question who here was walking down the street one day had no connection to any Christian or any church thing and suddenly decided suddenly was illuminated Here's God, here's Christ, here's the way of salvation. Anyone? Well, we, all, we all were brought in in what way? How many of you guys were baptized as children? Okay, how many of you guys came to know Christ at some point in your childhood? Okay, how many of you guys became Christians as adults? Let's, let's go to that way. You were, you were an adult, okay? How did you, when you became a Christian as an adult, someone tell me how, how that occurred. Just, like, how did you hear the gospel? Uh, Jeannie, how did you hear the gospel?
2: Uh, through a, a Nurses Christian Fellowship.
0: Nurses Christian Fellowship.
1: Yeah, one of my friends told me, uh, Mark, you're lost, you're on the way to hell, there's only one escape. And...
0: Okay. Anyone else? Jana? I'm
2: um, parent church ministry.
0: Okay. Anyone else? Want to speak to that? Come on, Rick. How about you? Well, I'm trying to think of a short version of it. (laughs) (laughs) There was a person or persons, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. A a friend, though, he never. Sayers autobiography a football player that God is first, others are second, I am third. My life was a mess at the time. And I remember thinking, Okay, God, you know, I've certainly not made you first. The following Sunday I went to a church that my friend had recommended and the Holy Spirit knew me at the door
0: so, so we have Gail Sayers, a Christian, right? A building, right? And and then a catchphrase, but all of that was the Spirit of God working through his people, the church, right? Even that construction, that brick and mortar wouldn't have been there without people assembling it for the glory of God, right? Um, Now, in some cases, um, we can take brick and mortar that was built for um, uses not to glorify God and restore it, uh, remake it. My point, though, is, is that the church, we, we all know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know already, but we all know that the church is, in fact, um, the people. We know that in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, it says this, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones, that's us, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'll just ask the question here, real quick. Um, the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, what, what do you think those are? Worship. Worship? Okay. And what'd you say? It's our life. Our life? Yes?
1: When we deny ourselves and put others first.
0: Okay. So you're kind of going to where I'm headed. That's right. It's worship. It's how we're living our life in response to God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, right? Those are the sacrifices. But, but, but part of this is how does it affect others, right? Not just others in here, but remember Israel's call in the very beginning was to be the priests to the world, right? That's why he set his people apart. It wasn't for them to be the special, isolated people of God, right? If if you want to really get a a good uh, a good analysis of this, there's a, a recent uh, publication in the uh, Through New Wise Commentary see, uh, series called Jonah, the Reluctant Prophet, right? Sometimes the church we become very reluctant to be the priests of the world. What what happens when we get up here and, and we pray? Um, prayers of petitions to the Lord we, we pray about all kinds of things we pray about the church we pray about the world we, we, we pray and we make intercession for the world right and so in that way part of our sacrifices is about being the priests taking the gospel to the world now it's interesting when we think about all this so far everybody's feeling pretty good and decent and warm and fuzzy about this right but but consider this, you know, Ephesians chapter 4, there are challenges to being the church and being covenantally connected to God and to each other. Consider Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. So that's Paul speaking. I am a slave. I am uh, under um, the, the I, I am just a slave, a prisoner. I am under the Lord. And he says, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called so he's saying look i'm 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 just a servant of god i'm a prisoner to the lord because of his calling his grace to me and i want you to walk in the same way with all lowliness and gentleness that's with humility that's with a sense of gratitude towards god that means that how we react to others is simply based on the fact how God has brought his mercy and grace to us, and therefore we're going to, did we, did we earn it, earn that grace, earn that forgiveness? No. Right? And therefore, as we deal with others, we're going to deal in the very same way that Christ has dealt with us, and then with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, that's a pretty long sentence, but it's pretty direct, right? Going back to why we like to be isolated, why? Because then people can't challenge our own selfishness, our own sinfulness, right? What do you think it's talking about when it says, lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering and bearing with one another in love? It means to say that the people sitting in the rows around you, and in this case, your pastor up here as well, right? I'm no nearer to God than you. I'm just called by God to be a representative of Christ to you on, on the Lord's day and to serve you. But, but I, I want you to, to see that people are going to challenge you. They're going to offend you. They're going to be selfish to you. How are you going to respond to that? Sometimes you know we think long suffering is the is the thing I do when somebody is sick and I gotta take care of them for a long time. Or you know, but what about what does it mean to be long-suffering with the body of Christ? You know, in America, we think that church membership is like a club. Punch my ticket today, right, and I'm part of this one. And you know, if enough people get on my nerves or they're not meeting my needs, or whatever else is going on, I don't say, Lord, how do I bear up and how, am I, how do I love them in a long-suffering way to further your kingdom? What we typically do is we take our ticket, we go over here and punch it over at someplace else. Right. Now, there are certainly times where we need to, to remove ourselves from unfaithfulness. But, ordinarily speaking, we need to recognize that we have to be long-suffering with each other. And, of course, it then says there is one body and one spirit. How many bodies? One. So even if you punch your ticket and go somewhere else, right, you're still part of the body. You can't escape it. You can, you can change what building you're worshiping in and, and what local group you're speaking to. But it doesn't change the fact that on Judgment Day, the Christians, the believers from that church over there, that one over there, and this one down the road, or all the way on the other side of the world, are all going to be in eternity with you. You're not escaping the body of Christ. So there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Or as I like to say from the South, y'all, unity, unity, bearing up, loving. Now this is, you know, are, are you feeling, let me ask a question, are you guys feeling challenged at all on this yet? Well, it is actually hard, right? I'm I'm not speaking that it's not, but I I want us to recognize that, that we are the body, and we're not just a group of individuals, right? And salvation is not disconnected from the church. Salvation comes from the church, and so... Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not speaking in some way to discount the work of Christ in any way. But Christ established the church for the sake of discipling the nations, of bringing the gospel to the nations. Right. So the message is not the church. The message is Jesus Christ. But I want us to understand the importance of the body, of the church. And this unity thing, how hard is it? We see that in Jesus' last moments before his trial and crucifixion, when he is praying in the garden, part of the prayer in John 17, we see that Jesus prays for his disciples, which you would say, okay, that makes sense because, you know, they're about to go through a hard time. But he also takes time, beginning in verse 20, to, in fact, pray for the future believers in the church. And what does he say? I do not pray for these alone, that's referring to his disciples that were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through your word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may be made perfect. Oh, excuse me. I cut off that, the end of that verse. I apologize. But, but, but here, here's the point that I, I really want to make for us here. We, we, we need to understand that the unity that Christ has with the Father, that Jesus is praying that we have with the Father through him, and with one another. Now, there's the, and, and, and Jesus knew that this was going to be such a big problem, right? In, in, in the world today, how many denominations do we have? A lot. Hundreds? There are more than a thousand? I don't know. It seems like, especially in the reform world, we kind of get in this place where every time we get somewhat crossways with somebody, we're dividing out are dividing out right you know you want Christ to come you want to see his kingdom um, grown you want to see the nation's discipled. the church needs to be unified I think that's much more likely to happen as we come towards the end of the age I think that we we're going to find that there's not going to be the divisions in the church it'll be it will grow and be matured in such a way that we will recognize that even if somebody worships different than us, those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're in covenant relationship with them, and we are um, obligated. You know, perhaps maybe they don't worship in what we think is the best way, right? But how are they ever going to grow? How did you grow and learn to, to think differently? I grew up in the very beginning, I watched this happen in the, in the, in the life of the church. You know, the first church I went to, we sang hymns all the time, right, because that was just the nature of it. Then a few choruses kind of crept in. We, we kind of would sing the choruses to the hymns, right? And, and then we saw the development where then it was um, other types of praise songs. And I'm not against other types of praise songs, but what happened was we had this progression going, and now today in the Christian, especially American church on the whole, there are songs that they're singing where Christ and God are rarely mentioned and there's no doctrinal teaching, there's very little at times, and sometimes it has become such a show, right, now, now but, but I was there, many of you were there at one point or another, how did you get to where you are? Somebody didn't come in and hit you in the face, well, maybe they did, and that was unfortunate, <laughs> right? Right? But rather, God brought people in your life, helped you examine the scriptures, helped you think through things, and helped you you to arrive where you are. That takes relationship. That takes us saying, I have unity with that church over there, even if I think they need to grow. And why do I think they need to grow? Because I know that I need to grow. The moment you think you've arrived, we're in trouble. But Jesus knew we were going to have trouble, so in those waning moments of his life, he prays for us to be unified as he and the Father are unified. Wow, that's a pretty significant prayer. So, I have a couple of things I just want to, just uh, Romans 12 And 1 Corinthians 12 both talk about the body. You're familiar with these. I'll just read Romans 12 and then Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12, just a couple of verses of each. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another so there's one body we have different gifts there's many members but we are covenantally together right and remember we're called to be the stones the center place of worship and relational restoration to God and through that through Jesus Christ to the Father to one another which we see realize at this table right when we come to the Lord's table, that's why we have a loaf of bread. Even for our gluten-free folks, we've got this slice, and they're breaking it off, right? Not having individual hunks, right? Little pieces already divided up. I want them to think about that visually. They're tearing that off, becoming unified together in that, okay? That's also why we, we want us to see that on... on this time when when our kids sit next to us and they take communion that they are that they are brothers and sisters in Christ at that moment they're part of the body they tear their own piece off and I sometimes some little kids get a fistful but so be it we have plenty of bread finally 1 Corinthians 12 for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Think about that when we have the sermon today. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we've all been made to drink of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Um, Just in conclusion here, I want to read one other thing to you. Just one paragraph because he says it so well. This is, again, in that article. If you message me, um, I'll share the article if you want to read the whole thing. But it it says this. We emphasize community formation because we realize salvation is not individualistic, but it is from the church. It is one body. To be saved is to experience a salvific, excuse me, salvific, presence of christ in his church through the means of grace by the work of the holy spirit salvation is not just a matter of individuals getting right with god it is also about the restoration healing and transfiguration of human life especially human relationships indeed the whole creation will in some sense be included in the scopes of god's redemptive power that's romans 8 ephesians 1 colossians 1 God's salvation is thoroughly communal, aiming at the church's life together with God. That's Augustine's view. We must repent of the ways we have interiorized and privatized God's work of salvation, of ways we have traded in the rich corporate view of salvation taught in the scriptures for the mess of pottage that is American individualism. We must repent of the ways we have downgraded the church to a mere voluntary organization, having no organic organic connection with redemption. The church is not merely an adjunct to the gospel tacked on as an afterthought or an unnecessary appendage. Rather, as Calvin says, the one effect resulting from Christ's death is that there is a church. The very goal of the gospel is the existence of people living in restored fellowship with God and in harmony with one another. The church is not merely an agent or means of salvation, it is salvation, albeit partially realized for now. The church is the garden of Eden restored and on the way to its glory, glorious consummation is the city of God that we see in Revelation 21 through 22. So, as we go through this week, I want us to think about this. Yes, ma'am? Christ said, um, There
2: will be division. Not in his church, but when we come to Christ, there will be division. That's
0: right. That's right. That's right.
2: And there's only one truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And Jesus prayed in John 17, sanctify them in my truth. My word is truth. So when we hear this message,
0: That's right. Joe?
1: also the discussion of of how like John on the Isle of Patmos was in prison and yet he was a member of
0: So, so one of the things using John and being at the Isle of Patmos, it says that on the Lord's day, right, on the Lord's day, he was in the presence of God. And this is part of the theology of our worship. Um, you know, I, I read one paragraph out of this, but there's a good deal of the first half of this whole article that talks about how the worship service, right, the things that we do in it are part of what worship, uh, uh, you know takes us out of isolation right because what, what happens we we get the call we respond to the call it's a song we sing the and then we confess our sins and then we're ascended into God's presence we're, we're now a temple the people here we ascend into God's presence where what happens where God we're, we are we're, we're united to one another but also to the churches that are, that are worshiping God all over the world. And so to your isolation issue or concern to missionaries, when they, when they do their worship, right, they're brought up into, they confess their sins, they are brought up into the presence. And in that way, even though we can't see it, we're in the heavenlies, right, and we're reoriented. God takes his word, right, through what's read, through what's preached. He cuts us. He molds us, he restores us, he brings us to his table where we're restored and brought in right fellowship, the fellowship of peace of God through the work of Jesus Christ, right? Which then makes us, conforms us to him, for what end? So that we can be commissioned out and be servants to the world in our families, in our missions places. Um, as outposts of the kingdom of heaven. Does that kind of make sense? So so we're going to get there. This week was just set the, the ball on the tee, right? But I want us to be talking about these things and thinking about its reality. Mike, you had a... a I had
3: three quick things. Yep. I'm going to piggyback on to what she said. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, when Jesus prayed, he said, "United as I and the Father are one. They're both holy, Okay. There is no communion between light and darkness. Um, the other thing, when you were talking about the example, it was kind of a, um, a false example because what we were, what you are speaking about there was not um, heresy; it was immaturity. So you can live for a long time on sugar and candy, but that's not healthy for you. Sure. Okay, but that's not going to kill you. That's not death. Okay. So what, what we're talking about is being not conformed to the world. And in the section you read in Romans twelve, it with, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is good, acceptable, and perfect. So to to not be united with someone because their music is immature and their worship is immature is not is not the same as definitively then. Divisively separating with somebody because, <clears throat> because their actions, their words, and what they're doing is showing that they're heretical. So like that's a totally different I think to separate from someone because of immaturity is immaturity. Sure. But to I, I think I think outside of being whole being being regenerate, being holy. And then understanding what you believe strongly and violently, you cannot be united with, with anybody. Like, when the last time I went up to visit my grandmother, my uncle preached a sermon. He's, a, he's Anabaptist because he's Mennonite. But the sermon was excellent. It was on point. And of the things he preached, I agreed with all of it. Even though I know where the, the sticking point is with him, I don't have a need to be divisive from him because I see where he's taking a stand, and oftentimes that's in what is relevant because that's where the battle's taking place. So where the battle's taking place in our society today, me and him are 110% united in the word of God. But there could be someone who is a PCUSA that technically may have seemed to be closer association as a Presbyterian, yet because... I have to divisively separate and say no, even if I have to draw a line, hard line and, and, and seem to be mean about it. I'm not, I'm not making much sense here. I'm no,
0: no, no, I think you're making good sense. And, and I want to make the distinction here. What, what, I, what I'm, I certainly, and I, I mentioned it just briefly, there is a place to divide, right? There is a place where heresy is there. There are those things there. You're right, there's no unity outside of Christ. Um, when we go out to our outposts, we certainly have some isolation. Although, as the people of God, some of that in a local, distinct way, we ought to be in fellowship throughout the week, strengthening one another in those outposts. okay But what I want us what I want us to, to part of what we're driving at here is what does it mean as, as uh, the people of God to be in relationship with one another, how we are connected to one another, how um, during the week, what is our responsibility to one another and, and how? We're, you know, in Christ, not of our own choosing, but in Christ, we are connected. We can't escape this. If you sin, it affects me. If I sin, it affects you, right? We, we see that easily in our homes, right? With our wives, with our children, etc., right? But it, but it is absolutely true because we're in covenant with one another through Jesus Christ in the same way. So, yes... We we, we we need to hold distinctives. We have to have firm boundaries. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the body of Christ itself, and I want us to be. i have spent
3: hours listening to Ready to Harvest on YouTube, mm-hmm. and it seems to me that when denominations split, I don't think I don't. I think oftentimes it is not as much a division as it is a unity, because when someone when we sin, that does affect the whole community. Mm-hmm. So when you have a community that has accepted sin. Those who are serving God necessarily must be unified with the greater body of Christ by splitting
0: with. Right. I'm, I'm not saying there's not that place. Of course there is, 100%. We've got to draw those distinctives. Um, but there's also a process to getting there, right? We, we'll talk about this further in, in coming weeks. Um, let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this day. Lord, I ask that you would uh, help us, Lord, to be your servants. We look forward to the renewal of your covenant promises with us. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.